Yeah, so as they're filling out the application and they're answering those questions about their health history and so on, in the background, we're making decisions in real time and tracking that as we go. And then we had an underwriter who we took all of her knowledge that we could. We fed it into our rudimentary AI engine at the time. We created this AI engine to make a decision. And it would go out and do things like even pull credit reports or motor vehicle reports. You know, if you weren't a great driver, maybe you probably weren't a great risk for buying life insurance. So, So we would do all those sorts of things in the background. Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maynes. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where the worst thing about hackers stealing your password is having to change your dog's name. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. And no, I haven't had to change my dog's name and haven't been hacked. But our guest today has great insights to make sure that you make yourself a hard target and remain safe and secure in your business. Well, the longest day of the year has passed, and we are a month into Q3 already. You believe that? Time is just flying. It's blazing hot here in Texas and much of the country. I escaped the heat a little while earlier this month and ran away to the islands to spend some time underwater. You know, taking time away is so important as an entrepreneur to keep yourself and your business healthy. So if you haven't done that, book it. Get out. Change your latitude. Clear your mind. And if freedom is elusive for you, that happens for a lot of entrepreneurs and you don't think that you can get away, Hit us up and we'll send you some strategies to help free yourself up. We all need to recharge. And this trip was really game-changing for me. I mean, I was refreshed, renewed, and here we are now back in the heat. But I'm ready to go. Well, speaking of heat, in last week's episode, Caroline Peterson absolutely brought the heat. One value bomb after another. Well, Caroline runs Gallery Design Studios, which works extensively with B2B SaaS and tech companies. So her marketing insights were absolutely stellar and on point. She talked about brand strategy, mission, big marketing blunders that B2B SaaS companies make. I've made probably all of them that she talked about. Have you? Uh, She covered key elements for creating a signature piece and how to use content for retention. Wow, that last part was so good. Our team implemented it the day after I met with Caroline. So if you missed that, drop everything right now and go give that a listen. It is absolute gold. Well, our guest this week is Jeff Chandler. Well, in addition to having an awesome first name, which he certainly does, Jeff is founder and CEO of ZJack Technologies. He has more than 35 years experience as a developer, systems architect, and consultant. But on top of that, Jeff is an expert in cybersecurity. Jeff served previously as Chief Technology Officer for Jefferson National Financial. He was part of the startup team that built that company. And Jeff recently authored the book, Hacked, What You Must Know Now to Protect Your Business Financials, Customer Data, and Reputation from Cyber Criminals. So welcome to the show, Jeff Chandler. Today's episode is sponsored by my book, Small Fish Big Pond, Building a World-Class Business that Swims Circles Around Competitors. 
So why do some companies achieve explosive growth while others sink into the depths? What do exceptional SaaS companies do that mediocre companies don't? And what can SaaS leaders learn from fish? Small Fish Big Pond delivers powerful business lessons guaranteed to change the way you view your business and includes hands-on exercises and growth tools to get lightning fast results. Get your copy today at smallfishbigpond.com. Use the code SASFUEL to unlock special bonus content. Well, hey, Jeff, welcome to SAS Fuel. It's great to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. You have a really, really interesting background in that uh, you've been you know, small company up to Fortune 100 and, uh, and then invented a technology that affects all of our lives today. So you know, take me back and tell me a little bit about your journey to where you are now. Okay, sure. So I started out uh, in IT back in the 80s. So I was going to engineering school, uh, did an internship for a small insurance agent. And this was when PCs were first coming out. And he said, yeah, I've got to figure out how to make this useful for me. I know there's a way we can do that. So we went to the computer store. We spent $5,000 on a PC with two floppy drives and a green screen. And he said, figure it out, make it work. So, so we, that's great. So I went to work just observing what people were doing and then uh, trying to make apps and things that would make uh, things easier for them. So at that time we, we uh, created some software for car dealerships. Uh, he was selling insurance to car dealerships. And so we took that software and started showing it to a bunch of the dealers he was working with. And before we knew it, we were selling it to everybody. And so my internship turned into me managing five people within a couple of years. So it grew pretty quickly. So that was my first sort of uh, entry into some leadership while I was still in college. Wow, that's great. So from there, I uh, decided that I really wanted to focus more on my engineering career, did a couple other jobs, and then ended up starting a software development company a few years later with a coworker. So we did a lot of custom software development for people. So background in programming, like doing those sorts of problems. So we wrote a lot of custom software for different people over the years. And then I had an opportunity come up uh, for this new company. And this was at the end of the, the dot-com era when things were really kind of taken off and, and we were all going to be instant millionaires at that time, right? Absolutely. All you had to do is take any business, add dot-com to it, and that was guaranteed money, right? Absolutely. And so, you know, we all had the spreadsheets. We were going to figure out we were going to be instant millionaires as soon as this went public. And then it crashed right while we were building all the software. So then we had to build a real business. So what we did is the, the person who started the company uh, wanted to build the world's first online insurance carrier. So he had created a telebank, which was a, a telephone banking system. Uh, he had sold that to E-Trade, became E-Trade Bank. And then at that time, he thought, well, that was fun. Let's try that with insurance. So he hired a bunch of us programmers and we got to work. And so what we did is we spent a lot of time arguing about the technology when we got started, thinking about things. I'm not sure we did much development the first six months or so, but we had a lot of fun uh, sort of kicking ideas around. And then we built a platform for selling insurance direct um, over the web to clients directly. So part of that included we wanted to be able to underwrite that insurance in 10 minutes. Wow. So there was a lot of stuff going on in the background. That is super, super fast, especially, you know, thinking about now that may seem like, you know, not such a great feat, but we're talking you know, 20 years ago. That was completely revolutionary 
right. to think about doing something like that because insurance took weeks or sometimes maybe a month or more. Right. Yeah. So as they're filling out the application and they're answering those questions about their health history and so on, in the background, we're making decisions in real time and tracking that as we go. And then we had an underwriter who we took all of her knowledge that we could. We fed it into our rudimentary AI engine at the time. We created this AI engine to make a decision. And it would go out and do things like um, you know, even pull credit reports or motor vehicle reports. You know, If you weren't a great driver, maybe you probably weren't a great risk for buying life insurance. So, so we would do all those sorts of things in the background. Uh, and then when we got to the end, we had to figure out how do we make this happen quickly? So the only way we could do that was to do an electronic signature. And this was before DocuSign even existed. So what we had to do was we took uh, some technology, we put it together, and we created our own form of a digital signature at that time. This was back in 2001. At that time, the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, did not accept electronic signatures as a valid form of signatures. So we developed all the technology, we designed everything, we were ready to go, and then we petitioned the SEC and said, look, you know, we think this is more secure than a regular signature because we're tracking where you signed it from, all these things, and we're locking things down. Uh, so let's take this, and we want to get approval to use this uh, with our clients. It took some time to convince them, but then once we convinced them and they approved it, we were ready to go, and we launched our product uh, just a, a month or two later after that. Wow, that's fantastic. That, that was the first hurdle. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a big, big hurdle. And we don't think about that today. I think it's really easy. You just go and you sign, you click, you're done. Right. But uh, that was something that was for a long time. Digital signatures, different industries reacted differently. Right, exactly. And so it'd be okay in some and not okay in others. The second problem we had was, number one, convincing people that this was okay, that this wasn't something sketchy. <laughs> it's not a scam, really. Right. And secondly, we had to present these signed documents to other insurance carriers. So if they were, say, closing a life insurance policy with another carrier, we had to convince them that this electronic signature was valid, that this customer really signed it for them to be okay with them transferring that money or that account to us. So a lot of them wouldn't accept it. So we would have to do a follow-up with a signed form and get them like in the mail, have them sign something physically so we would have it. But as we started getting some traction with that, eventually some of the other insurance carriers started to accept that over the years. That's good. Yeah. So what happened with that? I mean, you know, did that become one of the big signature companies or what happened with that, uh, that product and that company? Yeah, so we, we found out building a brand new insurance company from scratch is really, really hard. It takes a lot of money. So, so, <laughs> so Without a we, doubt. We were constantly out uh, fundraising, uh, getting new capital investment. And so what we did is we ended up buying another insurance carrier. So we bought uh, Jefferson National out of Indianapolis. Uh, so we bought that company. We, brought, we were able to bring in a lot of their policies, uh, convert them into our system that we had built. So the other thing we had to do with this is, you know, there's a lot of systems out on the market for insurance carriers to administer their business, but none of them were designed to use on the web. I think that's probably still true today. A lot of really old legacy systems out there. Oh, yeah. So a lot of mainframe systems, a lot of systems that just were not designed to work that way. You know, if you logged in, you potentially had security to do anything you wanted. So what we had to do is we had to tear that thing down take all the logic out of everything and then create web interfaces for the whole admin platform. 
So that was sort of revolutionary at the time as well, because nobody was building a web application to administer their accounts. So we had the admin platform that we bought, that we, we licensed all the source code for. And then we had our web front end that, that a lot of our uh, clients used, the agents we worked with used it. And then we built even APIs into that so that if an agent uh, wanted to build their own web front end, we had API hooks where they could hook into our web platform and send that business over, which, you know, again, at the time, nobody was doing anything like that. So we were getting a lot of uh, traction with that. And we ended up even licensing that to a couple of other carriers at the time who just couldn't figure it out. Oh, that is impressive. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Sure. Bringing those legacy systems into the, the modern world or modern-ish, maybe. Right. And so we just continued just to plug away at that. We grew the company. Uh, finally, 2017 got the attention of a Fortune 100 carrier who bought us out and then brought us all in. And then, uh, so me going from this entrepreneurial 150 person company to a, a huge uh, 30,000 person company was a little bit of a culture shock. So that is a little bit different. Decided a couple of years ago, it was time to move on and do something where I could feel like I can help a small business owner out or somebody who needs help and really make a difference rather than just being another uh, cog in the wheel, so to speak. That's fantastic. I, I love the, the impact aspect. You know, so it's not just about, you know, building a business for dollars, but there's a bigger why behind that. And that uh, it's really about the impact and, and impacting small business owners. Right, exactly. So tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, what you're doing now, you know, new venture and, and what that journey has been like. Yeah. So when I started the business, I was thinking, you know, I've got a lot of background in web development. Maybe I'll just be a web developer and, and do custom websites for people. But what I was finding out was, Trying to compete against people doing it overseas for pennies on the dollar was ridiculously hard. So people were asking me, you know, you've got a lot of background. I was CTO, chief technology officer before I left for the carrier here locally in Louisville. And they said, look, you know, you've got all this other background. We really need help here. So kind of pivoted a little bit. And that was kind of important to, to recognize where I could provide value for people. And so I pivoted and started doing more just IT consulting and IT support. You know, using a lot of that experience I had over the years, you know, from growing that company to helping people understand how to leverage technology properly and use that in their business so that, you know, they're getting the most out of it. And then with the rise of all the, the cyber issues lately, you know, what can I do to protect those clients as well? So how do I help them uh, stay safe from the hackers? So that's really important to me, too. No, oh, Absolutely. And I love that, just the, the CTO and going out and, and helping small businesses because most of them, well, I say all of them, or maybe none of them would be the, the better way to say it, can afford a full-time CTO. Right. But a lot of them need that kind of expertise. And I think a CTO is, is kind of the unsung hero of the, the executive team in that really you know setting that technology vision, thinking about strategically, here's where we are today. Where do we need to go tomorrow to, to remain relevant? to continue operating, to be safe. Right. And I think that the cybersecurity aspect is getting more and more difficult, especially for small business. So tell me a little bit about what it looks like in cybersecurity and ransomware and some of the, the vulnerabilities you're seeing out there. Yes. Yeah, so it's getting a lot more aggressive these days. And what's what the problem is, a lot of these criminals, are they run it like a business. So you can do what's called ransomware as a service, for example. You've heard of software as a service. Well, you can do ransomware as a service. So we definitely don't want to do a podcast called RAS Fuel. Yeah, no, no ransomware as a service. But you're exactly right. That's happening. That it is becoming something that is a much more sophisticated operation 
than just going in and trying to mess up some files. Right. It's gone from the high school kids who are doing it just for fun, just to see if they can, to professional people who are ransoming you to extract money from your business. And they're very sophisticated. And it's it's a constant battle of trying to keep up with what they're doing versus you can build a remediation and a way to fix things. And then they're jumping ahead and trying the next thing. So it's just this constant back and forth with them to, to stay ahead. So how does a small business stay ahead of, of security threats? You know, what are things that, that you're recommending they do at this stage? Yes. Yeah, so we always tell people, don't be an easy target. You know, don't be a sitting duck. The criminals are out scanning the internet constantly and they're looking for easy targets. So it's not that they're in particularly targeting small businesses. They're targeting everybody. But if a small business doesn't do some of the best practices, you know, if they haven't, if they have a firewall that they haven't change the password on, for example, or they're not running current versions of antivirus, or they're not patching their systems. The things that you need to do daily to protect yourself, those are the people who pop out on these scans that they do. And then they go back and they try to be more aggressive and then try to figure out what they can get out of that business. Yeah, that, that happens a lot. I mean, we see you know port scans all the time. And that's one of the things that, that we do as a company is um, you know security audits, and, uh, and we hire hackers for penetration testing, those types of things. Right. And I've done that. Uh, it, but, you know, small businesses, that's a little bit tougher to do. So how do you make yourself a hard target? Mm-hmm. So it's all the best practices. So it's number one, uh, passwords. You know, make sure that you're using different passwords for all of your sites. And too often we see that uh, someone has uh, used a password on, say, their school website, that they use the same password on their work account. So now all of a sudden that school website, which might not be protected, they've hacked it, they've got your password. Now I'm gonna start trying that same password on your work account, on your banking accounts, anywhere else to see where I can use that same password. So it's educating people on how to make sure you're using different passwords. So using a tool like a password manager is is really good. Uh, Secondly, it's education of the clients. What do I need to look out for? You know, 90 something percent of all the hacks happen because someone clicked a link they shouldn't have. So what can we do to to help them recognize those links and and what doesn't look good? And then it's patching. You know, are you patching your systems properly? You know, uh, Microsoft puts out updates the second Tuesday of every month. Do you have a regular cadence to make sure that you're updating your desktops properly? So those are three big ones right there that are going to help you not be an easy target. No, that's really, really smart. And I think about that password managers, there's some great ones out there. LastPass, one password is what we use. Uh, you know, Google has Password Manager built in to their solution. So there are lots of, of things out there. So it's not about you know remembering a whole bunch of passwords, right? But uh, using a tool and using things that are long and complex and random. And uh, length is probably the the biggest part of that, right? Um, so it, it's not. Yeah, I think that sometimes we think that we have to have it's got to be eight characters long, but it's got to have all these weird things that are hard to remember which uh, is hard for the human, but actually pretty easy for the machine to crack. Yeah, exactly. But the longer that is, the the more secure it is. Right, exactly. We recommend at least 10 characters. If you use a password manager, 20 characters is really easy uh, to do. Yes. And you don't have to remember it. And that's the great thing is you really have those long, complex passwords that you don't have to remember, and you just have to be able to get into your vault. Right. And we recommend people don't use the password managers that are built into your browser. Those are easier to crack. So use a password manager, like you mentioned, LastPass, RoboForm, Dashlane. There's a whole bunch of them on the market. Yep. That's really smart. 
And then, so you said uh, password manager and the second one was patching systems. Patching, and right. so you know, companies should know how to do that. If they don't, uh, they need to reach out to a company like you to, to work with them and, and show them how to do that. Right. And we will even take that off of their plate for them. So we will connect into their systems, monitor the patches and make sure that they stay up to date. So that's what we'll do for them. That's good. Yeah. And then clicking on links. Um, how do we educate? I think that's probably one of the biggest vulnerabilities, not just to, as owners, but you know, thinking about you know team members out there, you know, either reusing passwords. I think that's a really scary one. Or if they get really sophisticated, then they write it on a sticky note and put it on the bottom of their keyboard. Right. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> Which, yeah, I've seen way too many times. But uh, how do we educate employees about security and making that part of their responsibility as well? So it's not just from the top, but it's everybody working together to make sure that you know that uh, the environment's safe, passwords are protected, you know, links or social engineering is another one. So how do we protect uh, the business overall? Yeah, so like I said, it's education. So it's not just the the one time a year, hey, watch these security videos and pass the quiz. It's ongoing. So what we do is we do that. We do the, the annual security training for people, which is about an hour of videos with some questions at the end to make sure that you actually watched it to test you a little bit. Then we also do weekly email updates. So we'll send out a weekly email with a video, you know, something, maybe it's a reminder of a best practice. It could be a, just something, here's something in the news and here's what you need to be aware of. So those are the kinds of things we do. And then we also do phishing tests. So we will simulate a phishing email to a client. If you click the link, then you will get a pop-up on your screen that says, you click the link, this was a phishing test. Here's what you did wrong and why you shouldn't have clicked this link. So it's sort of that immediate training that you get and feedback that, uh, you know, here's what you did wrong and here's how you can not do that the next time. Now that's really smart. That's a, you know, in real world scenarios. I think if hackers ever learn how to spell, we're probably all in trouble. <laughs> That makes will make it a lot harder to spot. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, and Jeff, tell me a little bit about uh, you know what you're working on today. What you see the future of technology to be, and how we can adapt to that as business owners. Yeah, so it's really taking advantage of of a lot of the tools that are out there. There's so many different tools out there that people can use, and a lot of times what happens is as a business owner, you know, you're buying the next shiny object, for example, you know, something that's going to solve this one problem. But you haven't really looked at a holistic picture of everything you have. So, so we I do that all the time. <laughs> I do it as well. <laughs> we chase all kinds of shiny objects. Yeah, and I do the exact same thing. So, you know, I look for a tool to solve a problem, but I don't necessarily always go back and look to see at the bigger picture. You know, maybe one of the tools I have is added features that cover that particular problem. So, so it's every once in a while stepping back and looking at everything that you have and seeing what you can do better. So a lot of times what I see is, is you go into a client and you just observe what they're doing and you watch and, and they don't necessarily complain because this, this is maybe in the call center, this is the way we've always done it. We put the person's name in here and then we close that screen and we go over here and we enter it again. And, and they don't even think about that that's probably not the most efficient way because that's just how they, they know how to do it. So having some third party come in, observe what's going on looking at what they have and then reevaluating and say, you know, you, if you were to consolidate into this one tool, did you know it does this other feature? Maybe you don't know it does that feature. And as an IT consultant who's trying to get familiar with all these different tools, 
you know, you're bringing that owner that awareness of all the things that they could possibly do. And potentially you eliminate something, you eliminate an expense and you help them to be more efficient with their team. People don't like doing double entry, but sometimes they just don't know better because that's the way they've always done it. Like I said, yeah, that's the way we've always done it. Right. You hear that a lot. Yeah. So you've been at this for a, a long time and, uh, and it seems to me that the role of a CTO has really changed a lot over the years, really transformed into much more of a business role, not just technology, but how that fits into business and touches other areas like finance. How have you seen that evolve over time and, and where do you see that going? Yeah. So at one point in time, the CTO seemed like they reported to somebody else who didn't sit in the boardroom with the executive team. You know, they might report to a COO or even a CFO where they're, they're part of that organization instead of being at the level with all of the senior management. Uh, so I've seen a lot more of, of awareness and bringing that CTO or CIO directly into the boardroom so that they can feed into the strategic vision of the company. So it's not just, you know, an expense for a particular business, but it's part of the strategic growth of the business. You know, how can I incorporate technology to grow my business? I think that's really important, especially in businesses that are not necessarily as technical or industries that have not traditionally been technical, that, uh, that there really is a, an opportunity to use technology to grow that business, that it, it becomes strategic. Yes, exactly. So maybe not thinking about it like you're, you're something who uses technology use technology to enable your business and grow your business. So what about for companies that technology is their core? Is there too much of a focus on the technology? Is it the tail wagging the dog where it's tech that's driving business or is it business that drives tech? It's kind of both. I don't know how you you separate the two. (laughs) Uh, You have to have awareness of both. So we talked about this before is, you know, a lot of times you you have businesses, new tech firms who are started by people who worked in IT their whole career. And maybe don't have a bigger vision of what the business needs. That's really common. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of really successful IT businesses like that. Uh, but having somebody on board who understands the business side of it is really going to help accelerate that growth. Because, you know, as you go out and as you want to grow your company, that business person might know the questions that the bank is going to ask or investors are going to ask. Uh, the things that, that you need to know about marketing or sales that maybe you know, as an IT person who's been a programmer your whole life or some other sort of technician, not necessarily understand what you need to know because uh, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So what you need to do to really be successful in that business. Right. It's really, you know, knowing what questions to ask, knowing what answers to have. Right. Exactly. And then how that business runs. And then when you're looking at a financial statement, being able to understand what does it mean? Yeah, how does it impact uh, decisions going forward? Not just to be able to read it and go, you know, we've got more at the end of the month than we started with, right? I hope. But, uh, you know, what do we do with that? How do we reinvest it? Where do we go with that strategically? Yeah, so so it's really, it's again, it's looking at, at what you can do with what you have. So, so taking the tools that you have and using those most effectively to grow your business. So lots of new things on the market. It's not just chasing the next shiny object, but it's thinking more strategically about what's really going to help my business be successful, if that makes sense. So it does. It does. So what do you think, you know, over the, the years you've, you've learned a lot of lessons. So what would those things be and just the thought process of, uh, of building a business and thinking about, you know, what should the next project be? What should it look like? What things should entrepreneurs know? What do you wish that, you know, you could go back and tell yourself 20 years ago that, uh, you know, you, you wish you'd known all this time. Yeah. So when I started my software business in the early nineties, 
you know, I, I was sort of the technician who was starting to build a business. I didn't really understand the business part. About three years in, someone said, I need to read the E-Myth. And it was like uh, that the person who wrote that book was sitting in the office with me talking about my business. You know, the technician who started the business, not necessarily someone thinking about, you know, how you grow the business necessarily. So so that has been a, a great book, Thinking Back. Uh, and when I started my new business, thinking about that as well, you know, building your business as if it's a franchise. You know, so documenting everything, you know, how do you do things, uh, thinking about it because uh, you kind of get buried in the details. You know, this is what I have to do today instead of stepping back and, and thinking about, you know, I would need to figure out who can help me do this and not necessarily how I can do it, everything myself. That's good. So in delegating things to employees. Right. Or, or finding outside resources. You know, it's impossible for, you know, I'm not good at you know, sales or PR, but finding people who are really good at that, who can advise you, you know, might be a fractional CSO or somebody like that who could potentially, you know, just be a consultant for you and help you sort of avoid the traps that, uh, that you might see uh, growing your business. I think that's one of the things that is great about where we are just in the, the business cycle today is everybody doesn't have to be an employee. Everybody doesn't have to be full-time. You know, you don't have to define 26 different things in a role that, uh, that you can have point people that are working part-time or consulting or doing pieces of a project. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, so IT is such a broad category. You know, even in IT, people ask me to do things. You know, I could potentially do it, but I would rather find somebody who's, say, an expert in SEO or an expert in building websites and bring them in to help that client versus me trying to, to fumble through and do it myself. I think that's, that's the opposite of what we see a lot with, uh, with entrepreneurs. And uh, something I call entrepreneur syndrome is we think that, you know, it's, I have to do it. If it's going to be done right, I have to do it. Or, and sometimes that's somewhat true in the early days where there isn't anybody or there's not budget to, to bring in other people. But I think for the most part, it's in our heads that we think that we have to do something or that we're responsible for it instead of going out and finding those people who are experts right. in those areas and working with them and focusing on our strengths. And that's, uh, that's where real growth comes from. Yeah, exactly. And even getting involved in something like a chamber of commerce where you're getting to meet lots of people, you know, then it's, you know, I know somebody who's an expert in this. Maybe they'll just give me some free advice, you know, even if you can't afford it. They might be willing to give you a 30 minute session for free just to kind of help you get through something. Uh, so it's making all those connections. And so not just being in your in your sort of uh, basement doing all the work, but, but uh, you know, getting out and meeting people, you know, having lunch with people and picking each other's brains you know, and, be, and be willing to be a resource for other people as well. I think that's really important. That's one of the things that we do in executive navigation is bringing people together from the, the SaaS community, but from all different industries. And so, you know, there's the, the old saying of it's lonely at the top. And I think a lot of times that's really because it's, uh, you know, lonely at the top. Right. And, and it, there's a lot of truth to that. And so what we want to make sure is that, that uh, you know, people, especially our clients, are not on that journey by themselves. They're not uh, sitting in an echo chamber trying to figure this out, but that they do have people to bounce ideas off of. They have somebody that they can take issues where if, even if they have a board, there are things that they may want to talk about that they don't want to talk to their board about. That, uh, that they want to get input or advice or outside perspective. Right. Yeah. And I'm in some uh, groups with other IT owners who are in other markets. Yes. And we meet once a week and just kick, kick ideas around. You know, what are you struggling with? What can I help you with? So getting in some groups like that 
through business clubs and other, other things you can meet, even like LinkedIn groups, other places. Those are really tremendous value. Absolutely. Yeah, having that outside input and just the, the, the trusted relationships so that you're not on the, the journey alone. And that leads to introductions to other people as well. Right. Which is, is really helpful. Experts in specific areas that, uh, that you know, you may, may not know somebody, but uh, somebody else knows somebody who's fantastic in that area. Right. Any other area I struggle with it is just perfection. You know, you want it as a business owner, you're a new business owner, you're trying to make a great impression. And sometimes that perfectionism uh, can really, really hurt you. So, you know, we say done is better than perfect. So get something out there, get some feedback and talk to people and see, you know, what you can do better. So just just put it out there uh, and, and take some chances. That's so important. We, we hold back so often because we want it to be better or think it's not good enough. And, and a lot of times, you know, what we think is the market wants is not necessarily what the market wants. When we go out there and have those conversations with our ideal clients and really find out, right? You know, we learn so much more than just sitting and building and, and waiting until we have something that's that's perfect. Right, exactly. And even like I said in my business, you know, I started out thinking web development sounds like fun. I'll do that. Right. But actually, talking to potential clients and finding out that that's not what we want. This is what we think you can really bring value for us, and be willing to pivot and do those things for people. That's great. So tell me a little bit about uh, you know little deeper in what you're doing at ZJack Technologies today. Yes. Yeah, so we do a lot of IT consulting. Uh, we do a lot of managed services. So what we do on the consulting side is we work on the strategic side with the business owner. So uh, they may have an IT team and they just need input. You know, are we going in the right direction? You know, you kind of get in, in your hole where you're, you, know, you only see what's ahead of you in your little business, but not necessarily the big picture. So working with the business owners to help them uh, think more strategically about their business instead of the the college student who's doing your IT after he takes his uh, classes for the day, which I've seen. And then all of a sudden the college student is taking a test and, and the systems are down and now you, you're out of luck until they're done. Right. So, um, so it's really uh, helping them understand where they have risk, where you can help them. And then in some cases, just being becoming their IT department. You know, we'll take over everything. We'll make sure everything stays patched. If you have problems, just call us. Uh, we've got people 24-7 answering the phone. You know, if you're the business owner on Saturday and you're working, trying to figure out something, you've got your password, you can call in and someone will help you with that. So it's really, you know, trying to become an IT support, an IT strategic uh, partner for a business. That's fantastic. So Jeff, had a great conversation. And uh, where can people find out more about you and ZJack online. Yes. Yeah, so the website is zjack.net, zjak.net. And then I'm on social media, ZJack Tech is the handle online. All right. And we will be sure and link all of those in the show notes. So you can learn more about uh, Jeff Chandler and ZJack and just go click the, the show notes and all the links will be there. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. So it's great talking with you today, Jeff. Yeah. Good to talk to you as well. This is fun. Thanks again to Jeff Chandler for coming on the show and sharing your insights spanning three startups. You can learn more about Jeff and ZJack at zjack.net. And of course, check them out on all social media as well. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. And don't forget about Dallas Startup Week. Grab your ticket, whether you're online or in person. I hope to see you there.